John chapter 14, verse 1 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to, and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Is that good news? Father, we thank you for this goodness, the great promise of your Son. We hold tightly to that promise, and we pray that we would walk wisely through this time on, on this earth. Help us and direct us in all of this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Previously at Equip, last week, the New Testament refers to the coming of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus, more than 300 times. Do we have that, guys? There we go. We should live, we should live in anticipation of that day. Live with anticipation every moment that the Lord could come at any time. We will, when, when he does come, we will no longer be subject to any form of death. You'll be able to walk through the uh, dust storm and your eyes not itch. It'll be great. It's going to be great. Uh, for believers, this will be a time of celebration in heaven, but also a time of the believer's judgment for what we did and didn't do when we were on this earth. So we should live with expectation of a judgment day coming, and are we doing what we're supposed to be doing? Are we living a life pleasing to God? One of the signs of faith is that we are zealous for his work. That's a sign that God has moved in our life. And we should use caution as we walk through life, asking ourselves, am I living pleasing to God? Now, one of the big questions people have had from the beginning of the New Testament has been, when is Jesus going to return? And just like other issues of prophecy... If you read through the Bible and you don't understand all of the uh, elements that are going to take place, you begin to confuse them, and it gets to be confusing about what's going to happen. And so we want to we make sure we're reading clearly. There's two things that as you read through the Bible and you read through these end-time events, two phases that you need to really be aware of. Phase one is what we, the rapture or the catching away of the followers of Christ. This happens in secret. Jesus sends, the, the, they send out their angels. We're harvested off of this earth. The world doesn't see it. I think, my, my personal opinion, it's just an opinion, I think the most of the world will explain it away. I think there will be people who grew up in churches, who sat in churches but never surrendered their life to Christ. I think there'll be even preachers and teachers who wandered from real faith who will go, uh-oh, and they'll realize what happened. They'll get it. Phase two, and this is where you can get, it can be confusing when you're reading the Bible and you say, wait a second, this, this sounds like, uh, like, like, like Jesus is coming and uh, you know, we're, we're, we've been through the tribulation. 
The sap phase two is the revelation of Christ. In this phase, Jesus reveals himself to the world. This time he doesn't come to capture away his saints. This time he comes with his saints. And that happens at the end of the tribulation. Jude 14 says this, It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and for all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against them. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. And if you watch closely those scriptures, you'll begin to see that there are people who are just like this. They deny who Christ is. They deny the power of God. They grumble against the things of God. They're malcontent about the things of, about the things of God. They follow their own sinful desires and justify them and want all of us to celebrate them. They want us to accept them as normal and righteous, and we cannot do that. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 says this, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. Who is that? Jesus. Real simple, isn't it? And in righteousness... He judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, we will be a part of this army of God that comes, but we don't have to do any fighting. We just get to ride the horses in. We're not going to wage war. He's going to wage war. By the power of his voice, by the power of who he is, he will wage war, and he will establish. At this point, this is what we're talking about here is the revelation of Christ. At this point in human history, Jesus will reveal himself to the world. He's come once as a lamb. He comes now as the king, the lion of Judah. And he reveals himself to the world as the great creator. Jesus will present his saints. He'll say, they were right. They were right. They got it. So many of you didn't get it. They did. He will judge his enemies. There are those who are who've really made up their mind to be enemies of God. Sold out enemies of God. 
and he will judge his enemies. He will begin his rule that we know as the millennium. So what you've got here is you have the rapture of the church. So when you're reading scripture and you come across some end time event, you, gotta, you, you need to begin to be, be able to identify, oh, that's talking about the rapture of the church. This is talking about the revelation of Christ, and they are two different things. They happen at two different points in time. That will help you in interpreting Scripture and understanding Scripture or discussing this with people, the rapture of the church and the revelation of, uh, of Jesus. In between the rapture of the church and the revelation of Jesus is the time we call the tribulation. And uh, the Bible calls it that. This will be a time of growing evil where the name of Jesus and where the name of God is attacked, where all things holy, righteous before God, are thrown off, where there's no restraint on the earth against evil, where many people seal their eternity separated from God and then the judgment of God. And we'll talk more about that next week. And at the end of that seven-year period, as we'll talk next week, the things that there'll be many events that happen in there, but at the end of it will be the revelation of Jesus. And he will come to rule and to, and to reign. And we'll talk about some of the things that happened during the tribulation next week. The question remains, when does the rapture of the church take place in the course of all of these events? So, there are three common views that you'll hear Christian people espouse. One is what we call a pre-trib, pre-tribulation rapture. One is a mid-tribulation rapture. And one is a post-tribulation rapture. So, some people believe that uh, Jesus is going to come right before the tribulation comes. Some people believe that Christians will go through the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. And some people believe that, no, we'll go through the tribulation and one or two things will happen at the end of it. We'll be quickly raptured and redressed and sent right back with Jesus. Or uh, when Jesus comes at the end of that tribulation period, he will identify us, identify those people for who they are, and they will be rescued out of the tribulation. So, the other view is this. There's one other view. And that view is this, that an elite set of Christians, known as the overcomers, will be taken in the rapture. And the rest, because they have not been faithful enough, even though they're Christians but they haven't been faithful enough, they haven't been overcomers, that they get left to live through the tribulation period and to go through the tribulation period. First uh, John tells us something different about that. First John chapter 5 says this, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You are an overcomer today 
not because you've conquered so many things in your life by the help of God. Not because you've lived perfectly today. Probably few of us have, if any of us, have lived perfectly today. Not because we live perfect lives and overcome in every area. No, we are overcomers by the work of Jesus Christ in our life. All of this is done by the work of Jesus. We owe everything to him. So that person who gets saved 60 seconds before the trumpet sounds, he's an overcomer by the work of Jesus Christ. And when the trumpet sounds, he's gone. And the person who's struggling with things, but their faith is in Jesus, and they're trying to grow, and they're trying to get there, they're an overcomer in Jesus' name. I'm not good, I'm not righteous, I'm not anything. When I stand before God in those moments on my own, I am everything because of what he has done for us. That's why we rejoice in him, that's why we worship him, that's why we celebrate him, that's why we should always come in and be thankful for who Jesus is in our life. Because we are overcomers by him. So the enemy wants to come around, whisper in your ear that you're not good enough, that you've done something bad, that, you, that you're not an overcomer, that you're not a, a, a great, you know, a, a good Christian, and, and <laughs> that you're not good enough for God. And, and you know, the simple answer is, uh, I know. But Jesus was. And my faith is not in me, my faith is in Jesus. My faith is in Jesus. I'm going to repent of the things I messed up, but my faith is in Jesus. Jesus, do you understand? Jesus is preeminent in everything. You know, we, we never get to the point ever where we say, okay, um, you know, now, now, you know, Jesus kind of, we're kind of, you know, in it now. We're, we're, I'm there. No, we're always striving to overcome. We're always striving to grow. We're always striving to be more like him but we rest in him. We rest in him. We let his spirit sharpen us and guide us and build us and enlighten us, but we rest in him. And we, we relax in him. Is that good? We need to just get this. Now, what about the three main views? I'm going to tell you, I, I just choose... I'll have people want to get in this debate with me about which one it is and, uh, you know, different things about this stuff. And, you know, frankly, I, I choose not to argue with people over this. I choose not to argue with them over it. Uh, mainly because I've never seen anybody change their mind when you argue with them over it. You know, so it becomes this endless controversy that good people argue over. And, uh, and I'm, I'm not really sure that our belief about this matters. The Bible doesn't say that we're saved, you know, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and your stand on the rapture of the church has to be right. There's no addendum to this thing I'm saved by faith through the grace. I, that's, that's how it is. The grace of God, faith in Jesus, that's how I'm saved. And I, I'm just telling you, I think that when we get to heaven, 
we're going to find we all had errors someplace in our understanding. And God in his grace, as he let the blood of Christ cover my sin, lets it all, lets my error, he's patient with my error. Now, he wants us to study diligently. He wants us to learn. We shouldn't be half-hearted about these things. We need to decide what we believe. But I, I'm just not going to argue with somebody much about what they, where they stand on this or, or, or what, what they want to say about this. Listen, if you're here through the tribulation, God's going to give you strength. He's not going to leave you alone. And if you're caught up before the tribulation, you're not going to say, hey, this doesn't match my, my theology, send me back. <laughs> I, 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 God in his love and his mercy knows, you know, he, he knows how limited we are. He knows how teachings have influenced us. He knows all of these things about us and he's patient with us. He knows our limitations. And again, that doesn't mean we don't try to overcome him. We don't strive because we honor him. We love him. We want to serve him. We should be striving and seeking for the truth all the time. But it amazes me the people who want to argue vehemently about end time events that have never won a person to Christ. They, they, they can spout off fact after fact after fact after fact, and yet you get down to it. Are they ever, uh, do, have they ever won anybody? Have they ever been a witness to anybody and them come to Christ? And the answer many times is no. Do you understand this is our primary job? Our primary job as Christians is to be his witnesses. That's our primary job. We worship him. He's worthy to be worshipped. But when we go out in this world, we're supposed to be his witnesses. And so, friends, you understand, we are filled with the Spirit to be empowered to be his witnesses. Thank God for the other things that come along with it. But if you've got all the things that come along with it and you're not his witness, there's something wrong with this. And you say, well, you know, I'm scared. That's why we get the Holy Spirit. You need to get filled with the Holy Spirit. Go, go pray into, until the Holy Spirit fills you with new boldness. The, 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 the New Testament church prayed again and again, give us boldness, because they understood their job on this earth was to go into all the world and be his witnesses, and so is ours. That job description has not changed. The call of what the church is supposed to be doing has not changed. That's what we're supposed to be doing is being his witnesses, and all the more so when we have this anticipation that Jesus could come any moment. Any moment. And so that's why we tell you, uh, have the spiritual talk with people in your life. You need to identify all, who are all the people that you're friends with. Who are all the people you're related to? You want to really get serious about it? Get out a piece of paper and just start writing down everybody you know. And then if you know, well, you know, 
Uh, I go to church with him. He's saved. He goes to the altar. He worships God. He's witnesses for God. He's saved. He says he's saved. So I'm, he knows the truth. Check him off. He's okay. He's, he's hard enough. But if you get to somebody and you go, I don't know. I, I just don't know. Do they know who Jesus is? Have they ever heard a clear presentation of the gospel? That's the person that you need to go to. And you have influence in their life. That's the person you need to call and say, hey, can we go sit down and spend an hour over a cup of coffee or go to lunch? Uh, can we go take a walk in the park? And can I tell you about the most important thing in my life? I just want to share with you what's really important to me. And this doesn't have to be, you know, big and scary and hairy. It just has to be, hey, I just want you to know that... Uh, uh, you know, I really, I, I've come to discover in my life that, you know, Jesus really existed. He really walked on this earth. And, and the best explanation I can have for what he did, what he taught, and what happened after he was crucified, the best explanation for that is he was resurrected from the grave because he was the Son of God. And the best explanation for why he did that is he went to the cross to pay for our sin. That's what he said he was going to do. And what that means to me is that the only way to go to heaven, that there's a heaven, there's a hell, and the only way to go to heaven is to put your faith in Jesus. I've done that. I've experienced his presence in my life. He speaks to me. He guides me. He directs me. I, I, I find joy in serving him, and I'm looking forward to heaven. And I, I just want you to be thinking about that. And if you have any questions about it, you can ask him right now or later. What are you doing? You're planting a seed. You're planting a seed. You're letting the Holy Spirit move. Hey, if you ever have any questions, please call me. Please ask me. Pass that. We're friends. I love you. You're my buddy. You know, we're still gonna, everything's going to still be the same because I haven't changed. I'm still being changed in the image of Christ, but I just wanted you to know what's the most important thing to me. Listen, everybody, God's put you in people's lives to have that talk with them. And as we live in anticipation of the second coming, we should be living that way. Now, as a doctrinal stand here at Calvary, we teach a pre-tribulation rapture. We believe uh, and we ask our teachers to teach this, that we believe that the church is going to be caught away from this earth before the rapture happens, just before the rapture, ha uh, just before the tribulation happens, we're going to be raptured. We have several reasons why we believe this. I'm going to cover three of them with you real quickly. The first one is we believe that believers are appointed not to wrath, but to salvation. The Bible talks about three kinds of wraths. One is the wrath of Satan. Satan wants to pour his wrath out on all of us. We are ta taught to pray for deliverance from the evil one. We are prayed to submit to God and to resist the enemy, and he'll have to flee from us. We are taught to put on the armor of God so that the arrows and the, of the enemy will be 
powerless against us. We're taught that we should know the schemes of the evil one, not be unaware of them, so we can recognize them and overcome him. But the enemy wants to pour his wrath out on us, and as, as we've said many times before, mainly because he wants to hurt God. He wants to destroy God's creation. The second wrath is the wrath of men and women who oppose God. Jesus said it to us. He said, listen, if they hate me, what do you think they're going to think about you? Don't be surprised when people in the world hate you. Don't be surprised when TV talking heads make fun of Christianity, treat Christians as if they're stupid. They, they're, there's a, they, they need it to be wrong. They need it to be stupid. And in their spirit, they need that to be there because if it's not wrong, if it's not stupid, then they're wrong and they're stupid. You get it? So, so don't be surprised when somebody doesn't like you simply because you say, well, I'm nice to them. Yeah, but you're a Christian. You're a follower of Christ. And there's going to be a few of them that just can't take that. There'll be others who'll get along, but there'll be, there'll, there's going to be some who just can't take it. They're going to call you names, make fun of you, say things to you. That, that happens in this world. That happens. The third is the wrath of God. Now, the believer has always been called to and had to endure and overcome the wrath of Satan and the wrath of people. That's part of our job on this earth. We are to bless those who, anybody remember? Curses. We are to love our enemies. If they, if they hate us, we're still to love them. We're told again and again and again not to be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with good. So we're to pray, we're to walk in obedience, and the Bible tells us that when we're rejected or when we're excluded or we're made fun of or we're made light of because of our commitment to Christ, to rejoice because great is our reward in heaven. Now that's one of the ways you ring up reward points is when the world mistreats you and you endure. We're called to endure. So, but let's go look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Listen to this. Verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So, wait a second. We're not destined for wrath. But we have to endure the wrath of Satan and the wrath of people. That's right, we do. The wrath we're not destined for is whose wrath? God's wrath. In, in John 3, 36, it talks about those who don't believe and just don't accept him, that the wrath of God remains on them. For the believer, the wrath of God is lifted off of them. 
Salvation delivers us from the wrath of God. When we ask Christ into our life and we're covered by the blood, he paid the, he paid the price for the wrath we deserve and we are set free undeservingly, unmerited grace. Not because we earned it, deserved it, or are good enough for it. We got it because of grace. We get that? We have no right to look down our nose at somebody else, even at the worst sinners in this world. We can't go, oh, they're sick. We need no, they're sinners, just like we were. And sin has worked out in some terrible, terrible ways. And we should have mercy on them. And we should pray for them. Because if they continue to live and walk in that way, the wrath of God remains on them. Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sin, and when you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He's talking about the enemy. Among whom we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So think about it. In the coming ages, in the coming eternity, he's going to continue to show his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us because we're in Christ Jesus. Eternity is going to be good, folks. It's going to be good. Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Since, therefore, we now have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So here these scriptures are all telling us that we are saved from the wrath of God. And as we'll talk more next week, what's happening during the tribulation is the wrath of God's being poured out. And we're being delivered from the wrath of God. That's why we believe that the rapture is going to happen before the tribulation. Number two, God has promised protection for believers during the hour of trial. So some people will use the words of John to say that the church will go through the tribulation. Listen to what, John, what it says in John 17, 15. This is Jesus praying. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So Jesus is praying for us. He's praying for believers. And one of the things he prays is that we don't get taken out of this world, but that we're protected from the evil one. So some people will take that and they'll say, see, we're, we're not going to be taken out of the world. We're going to be left here. And Jesus prayed for us to be delivered from the evil one. But listen, I want you to capture this. Remember, the tribulation is an expression of God's wrath, not Satan's wrath. 
It's an expression of God's wrath. Right now, we're in a day where the enemy can try to work in our lives and will try to work in our lives. He'll try to tempt us. He'll try to discourage us. He'll lie to us. He'll try to send persecution our way. And Jesus says, I'm not asking you to take them away from that. I'm asking you to keep them, to protect them from the evil one. I'm asking you to protect them from the evil one. But tribulation isn't about what the evil one's doing. Tribulation is about the wrath of God on a people who reject him and turn from him. So remember, the tribulation is an expression of God's wrath, not Satan's. Revelation 3 says this, verse 10, Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. It says it right there. You've, been patient, you've had patient endurance, but I'm going to keep you from the hour of trial that's coming on the whole world. Of those who dwell on the earth, I'm coming soon. Hold fast. Hold on to that. So we believe that, we'll, that we will miss that time of trial because we won't be here. We'll be gone. When that time of trial, the time of trial comes upon them. Number three today. Revelation 6 through 18. In Revelation chapter 6 through Revelation chapter 18 does not mention the church. The absence of any mention of the church seems odd during such dramatic events unless the church isn't here. All kinds of things are happening. All kinds of wrath being poured out. All kinds of things are happening to people. And there's no mention of the church. The times during these passages that mention the saints, they are always in heaven. The, the book appears to contrast those in heaven and those who are on the earth. So they're just, not, they're just not mention of us in those places. And it would seem like if we were here during the tribulation, during this outpouring of wrath, God would be telling us how to act, what to do, how to live in a right way. The catching up of the church will remove all restraints from evil, the Scripture says. All restraints from evil. So evil is going to be let loose. Right now the church is a restraint for me. Do you know that that's part of our job? Part of our job is not to make the world feel comfortable. Part of our job is to make the world feel uncomfortable. It's not, oh yeah, I just try to fit in at work. No, part of our job is to not fit in. Part of our job is, is for them, you know, I've had people say to me, yeah, my buddy's cussing for me at work, and then they'll apologize, and I say, oh, it's okay. No, you shouldn't say it's okay. You say, yeah, you shouldn't do that. That's what you should say. Yeah, you shouldn't act that way. I'm glad you feel convicted. I was on a board with a, a guy. If I named his name, you'd know him, and he'd curse, and he'd say, sorry, pastor. And I'd always say to him, you don't need to apologize to me, man. You better apologize to God. Apologize to God. God's the one. You're, the one, you're, you're offending him. But, see, our call is to be a restraint on evil. That's part of our call. 
Now, can I get really personal about this? That's why we should really watch what we watch on TV. Are we restraining evil? Or are we, in comp- are we in- inviting evil into our home? That- that's why we need to watch what we do with our time. Am I committed to the church, or does everything that happens take me away from it? That's why I tell you, hey, when you go on vacation, great, go on vacation. But go to church. Go worship God with some group of believers someplace. Go hear the Word of God preached someplace. Go learn something someplace. But be faithful to the house of God. Be faithful. Don't take the day off. Be faithful. Go and be a part of that and be supportive of that. We, we're supposed to be a restraint. We shouldn't give in to the world and say, well, you know, it's, it's on Sunday now. No, I, I need to I say, well, if it's on Sunday, it's not me. I'm not doing it. My dad used to tell me when I was a kid growing up, I want to do something at school. He'd say, you can do anything you want to at school. Whatever you want to do, you can do it. Uh, you got to be at church. We had churches on Thursday night back then. You got to be at church at 7 o'clock on Thursday night. You got to be at church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night. Have at it, whatever you want to do. And if I wanted to be in something at school, if I wanted to be in a play, if I wanted to be in some activity, I would have to go to the person before I got into it. I would go to everyone before I got I said, look, I'd really like to do this. I'd like to be a part of it. But uh, 7 o'clock on Thursday night, Sunday morning, I'm at church. Uh, if that means I can't be in this, you need to tell me right up because <laughs> there's no compromise with this. <laughs> you know, there, there's no giving in on this point. This is going to be the way it is. What was my dad teaching me? First things first. First things first. Okay, you can do whatever you want, but first things first. And if the whole church acted that, if the church across America would sit and say that today, it would clean a lot of things up. If every Christian across America would say, listen, we're going to be in the house of God in these times. We're not going to be a part of these kind of things. We're not going to watch these kind of things. We're going to turn it off. We're not going to buy those products. The world would get the message. But when we compromise into it, we don't restrain evil. Let the Lord speak to you about that. Let the Lord speak to you about that. Because we're supposed to hold back evil in our homes, in our conversations, as much as we can in our politics, as much as we can in our culture, we're supposed to be influences of righteousness. And when you say that and you do that, count on it, there's going to be the wrath of man to pay. You're going to have to pay for it. The enemy's going to come against you. So you say, oh, I really want to pay that price. Don't think about the price. Think about the reward. Hey, I'm, I'm doing the right thing here. I'm not trying to be mean to anybody. I'm not trying to uh, be nasty. I, I'm just doing the right thing before God. And the reward will be the reward. Matthew, Mark chapter 13. But concerning that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. So here's this great, this great call to us again. We should live our life with the anticipation that in the next minute the Lord could come. You've heard me say this before. I was convinced as a teenager 
I was just convinced. If I got drunk, that's when the Lord would come. <laughs> I just knew. I knew I had the key that he was just watching, saying, yep, he's doing something wrong. Blow the trumpet now. I just, I just knew that. I said, that's, that'd be my, that's my luck. That's what will happen. I'll do something sinful, and the Lord will come. Well, that's silly, isn't it? But the call is to be on guard, to live that way, to live with the thought, the Lord may come in the next moment. Be ready for that. Be living your life ready for that. Help others get ready for that. My dad had a tape that uh, I, I probably need to redo. I love the title of this tape. He did a sun, Sunday morning service. He did a Sunday morning service on what to do if I miss the rapture. And, and then he explained what would happen during the rapture, like the mark of the beast and some of these things would take place during the rapture and uh, that people need to get saved, that, 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 if they, that if they took that mark of the beast, they were condemned for eternity, that you don't want to do that. Here are things you need to do if you're, in the ra- if you're left in tribulation. The people who get saved through the tribulation, you know, give their life for salvation. They pay the ultimate price. They're martyrs putting their faith in Christ. And so he say, listen, I got the, you, now you take this tape. All of you buy this tape. Buy this tape. Make a buy tape. And go to your family and say to them, <clears throat> listen, if I ever just disappear, <laughs> if you come home someday and I'm just not there, you, can, you can't find me for a few days, you don't know where I'm at, and I'm just gone, and you call my friends, and they're gone. You go down to my church, and most of them are gone. Get this tape. It's going to be in this drawer right here. Get this tape and listen to it. And he said, my bet is they'll sneak in sometime when you're not there, and they'll get that tape and listen to it, and God will speak to their life. So what is he saying? Live ready and help them live ready. Help them know what the truth is. Let them hear what's going to happen, and let the Spirit of God move in their life. So here's the call. Are we living in anticipation? Our children need to know the Lord could come any day. When I was a little kid, I understood the Lord could come at any moment. Scared me half to death, but also scared me halfway to righteousness. Are you with me? Uh, There's nothing wrong with that. The Lord could come any moment. The Lord could come any second. Our friends need to know about Jesus. We need to make sure that the people around us understand what's about to happen, what could happen at any moment. We don't know. Could it it not happen in our lifetime? Yeah. We may may not go in the rapture. We we may go by the grave. And we may go before the night's over. One trumpet call. One God looking down saying, I've had enough with CNN and Fox News. I am done with both of them. Let's wrap this thing up. I'll tell you what, if I, if I had, if I could, uh, there's been many, many times in the last six months where I could have just looked at Gabriel and say, blow that thing. It would, it would have, uh, am I the only one? I just said, blow it now. Let's go home. This is ridiculous. One of these days, God's going to say, the last person that's going to cross the line of faith is cross the line of faith. He tarries for that person. He knows who that person is. And when they cross that line of faith, he's going to say, that's it. That's it. Bring him home. 
I am ready for that day. Amen? Let's stand together and let's pray. We just take a moment, just bow your hearts before the Lord and just, just ask the Lord, Lord, am I, am I living in anticipation of that day? Is there some other way where I need to live in anticipation of that day? Oh, Lord, we love you tonight. Hmm. Father, you know how easy it is for us to be caught up in the worries of each day. You know the concerns we have for each day. You know people in this room tonight who have uh, serious, serious concerns. You know the serious concerns I have. The Lord, Lord, the things that we're just looking to you and trusting you to take care of and doing our best in the meantime to be obedient to you. And Lord, some of these things could, uh, could take us away from doing what we need to be doing, living the way we need to be living, walking in the joy of your presence. And so, Father, I pray across this room you'd help us to not walk in fear or worry. And I pray, Father, for those of us who need a mighty work of your hand in deliverance and help and strength, that, Father, you would send it quickly to us. Bless the men and women in this room. Bless them with the thing that they need and the answer that they need. And guide us. Lord, you know those places in the church and what we need to have happen. Let it happen. Let these things happen quickly, we pray. And Father, help us to live our life in anticipation of your return. If there's some place where we're not living righteously, Speak to us. If there's some place where we're not living according to your will, living pleasing to you, speak to us, we pray. And then give us the strength in our inner being to be obedient to you every day. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I would tell you, I think one of the hardest things for us to hear is those places where we're dug in that we're right and we're not right, that we've justified away for a long time. And, and I would tell you, in a moment like this, God will whisper those things to us. But the tendency that I know I have in that moment when he whispers those things is to just instantly dismiss them because I've, I've justified them for so long. But over the years of living my whole life, the conclusion I've come to is, is when he begins to whisper something like that to me, why did that come up? Why did that come up? You know, you do, something, you do something nice for somebody. You're not sitting here in a moment like this, and you've gone, you've taken a meal to somebody that's sick or somebody that's in need. You're not sitting here and a guy going, yeah, yeah, you know, you took that meal to that person. What do you think you're doing? You're not hearing that, are you? You witness to somebody, God's not whispering to you, hey, why are you witnessing no, the good things we don't do don't come up. So why did that thing come up? Why did God whisper that in, into my mind or into my heart and me come up with all my excuses to dismiss it and say, no, it's okay? Maybe I don't need to dismiss it. Maybe I need to look at it real hard. Maybe I need to really rethink something. Maybe you start to say, God, why does 
every time I get in this position, you bring this up. And it could be that God's trying to take you to a new place. Amen? One of these days, that trumpet's going to sound. We're going to go stand before God. We're going to have a party. It's going to be a great time. And then we're going to go stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And for the, things that we, for the things that we did on this earth, the foolish things we said, the wise things we said, the foolish ways we acted, the wise ways, ways we, act, we acted, I just keep getting up every morning and say, God, let me, let me pour wise things in today. Let me do the right thing today. Let me not fall into the bad thing today. Let me do your thing today. Let me store up treasures today. Let me store up treasures. I can't do anything about the past that I've blown. But I can store up things for them. I can start storing up things today. Amen? So, be treasure seekers. Be treasure stores. Put, them in, put those treasures in heaven because someday you're going to stand there. And that's going to make it a great day. Amen? Amen? All right. God bless you. I love you. Go in the name of the Lord and may his joy be in your heart tonight.